0: hello and welcome to the green canary today on the show guess which dirty fossil fuel companies are paying no tax hint it's virtually all of them yeah we'll get there in a sec and also today we are going to glide our way through a terrific win in the forest especially for the gliders we're going to talk about cop is this going to be good cop or bad cop at COP27. Feel like we might have used that pun before, but that's okay. COP only rolls around once a year. We're going to be talking about plastics, big ones, little ones, i.e., microplastics. We've got plenty more on the pod today, but someone who is never plastic in the sense of sort of being not real shoes. Always <laughs> absolutely 100% pure Elfie is my co host, Elfie Scott. How are you there, Elfie?
1: Hi, and I am doing fantastically today. The sun is shining. How are you? How was your weekend?
0: Um, My weekend was fine. I went for a bushwalk and then it wasn't fine because I saw, seriously, I saw the biggest snake I have ever seen. Um, (laughs) Wait, what sort of
1: a snake was it?
0: Oh, it was a black snake, probably a red belly. I, I, I saw the black and then kind of squealed and, and ran. Oh, uh,
1: God. Okay. That's not a fair. fan.
0: Not a fan. It was very, very large. I think because of all the rain, I think it's going to be a bumper summer for snakes. So good on you if you're a snake. Not so good on you if you're a bushwalker. Like,
1: <laughs> I um, So my partner nearly stepped on a red belly last year. It was, I swear to God, probably about two metres long. Uh, and what we discovered when we were Googling later was that the vast majority of red belly bites, because they're actually quite sort of a docile snake. They're not like brown snakes. They're not aggressive. The vast majority of bites from red bellies actually just happen from people stepping on them. So I'm really glad that you didn't actually step on this little guy.
0: Uh, big guy, rather. This little guy was not not little. Yeah, he he hasn't been little for about five years. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, look, we got through the weekend. We got there. And the question is, are we going to get through COP? Greta Thunberg suggests we're not. Why don't you kick Mm. us off for the week with a bit of Greta news because COP news is basically Greta news, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very true. So Greta Thunberg has said that she won't be attending the COP27 summit in Egypt this year. Um, Basically, she said that it was a greenwashing exercise and a scam. So we'll play a little clip of her saying that right now.
2: The way that COP27 would for me be considered a success or a step forward
1: would be that more people realise what a scam it actually is is, um, under current circumstances. So actually, um, and we should point out that in the lead up to COP, uh, Thunberg also spoke out against uh, political prisoners in Egypt. She signed petitions around that and things like that. Uh, But really, basically, she's just calling out the inaction from cops. Um, Especially leading up to this year, there has been like, kind of a grim mood around all of this. So like, Almost none of the world's biggest emitters have stronger climate commitments than last year, even though there was a big promise to do so at Glasgow. Australia is funnily enough, a bit of an outlier, but obviously that's only because we came from an extremely low baseline. Um, Yeah, and also there is research. To say now, and I believe it came out last week, basically suggesting that 1.5 degrees is no longer possible and none of the policies that we have in place now are actually going to limit global warming to that number. So it's all a bit bleak, isn't it?
0: I was going to use that word. That is bleak. And, you know, I saw Greta on the ABC. I saw that interview. Um, And, you know, I heard her say the word scam twice. So, look, it may well be a scam. We know that uh, fossil fuel companies were there last time, hanging Mm. out, you know, lobbying away. Um, That's the sort of thing that would make it a scam, but we also know that COP is important. I I believe in COP. I choose to believe in COP because I have to believe in COP because I need to believe in COP, even if COP is not worth believing in. Um, (laughs) That's fair. And, you know... There are so many reminders why it's important. There was a good report by the Climate Council this week. They they released a thing called, G'day COP27, (laughs) Australia's Global Climate Reset. So, you know, the Climate Council's out there putting material before the world saying, hey, we're a different Australia now. That makes me proud. Um, You know, there was a lot that caught my eye in that report, by the way, actually. But one thing was that uh, in the months leading up to this year's COP27, uh, extreme we- weather records have, have been absolutely decimated in every single continent, whether it's crippling droughts across East Africa, Western Europe and beyond, uh, to the devastating floods everywhere from Pakistan to, as we've seen in Australia, dot, 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 dot heat waves, you name it. So, you know, the Climate Council put in this really uh, important document that I think reminds us why uh, it is important that we get something done at mm-hmm. COP. Even if 1.5, the old Paris number is out the window. Uh, maybe we can get 1.51. 1. You know, yes, it, it, yeah, it, yeah. Let's, let's let's not give up. Um, I mean, that is an arbitrary number. So 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 let's not give up. And and I believe uh, some people from the Climate Council are heading over. So I'm going to try and make it our business to have a chat to them when they get back and say, guys, how bad was it? Was it good cop or was it bad cop? We'll find out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is brilliant, Ant. And let's move on to the next story. So this one has caused a bit of a stir on social media this week. So a few days ago, the Australian Tax Office released their corporate tax transparency report, God, that's a mouthful, Uh, for the 2020 to 2021 income year. This is basically a report that looks at the total income, the taxable income, and the tax paid by Australia's biggest corporations. And the thing that has caught a lot of people's eyes is the amount of tax, or rather lack thereof, that Mm -hmm. has been paid by Australia's biggest emitters, uh, biggest fossil fuel companies. So Ant, do you want to go through the numbers here? Uh, or the number should i say
0: well there are, there are numbers i mean i mean the reason the fossil fuel people stand out is look we all know that in the real world if if a company um has revenue but isn't profitable it doesn't pay tax um we you know we know from the australian tax office's uh, corporate tax transparency report that uh, this was for by the way the 2020 2021 financial year or income mm-hmm. year we know that 2,500 companies paid a combined 70 mil, a bill, sorry, 70 billion or thereabouts in income tax. That was more than the previous year. It was the highest since this report has started. There is good news. The ATO is getting people and making them pay tax. The bad news is that zero was paid by a whole lot of fossil fuel companies. Now, when I say the bad news, I'm not alleging anything untoward. I'm sure there are reasons why they haven't paid tax. I don't understand those reasons. I am not an accountant, but the, nonetheless, it is a shame. You would stop, court of, stop short of calling it shameful, but you would definitely say it is a shame that uh, these companies can find no tax, Except for Chevron, Elfie. Is that the number you wanted to talk about?
1: Oh, yes. That is the single number I wanted to talk about. So, Anne, do you want to give the audience the total tax that Chevron paid in that year?
0: I just want the world's longest drum roll and... (laughs) Exactly. 30 bucks. 30 bucks. 30 bucks. $30. Three times 10. (laughs) Six times five. That is what Chevron... Six coffees. Paid in tax thirty bucks, so it's about well, half I, a tank
1: of petrol. Ironically,
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> My heart goes out to Chevron because they're trying so hard to make a profit here in Australia. Seems like they just can't do it. Where's the violin? My daughter plays the violin. I, I should have brought it with me. I'm, I'm going to start playing the violin for Chevron because they couldn't afford to pay more than thirty bucks. But look, there's all these people there. You name them: have Whitehaven, Coal, and you know, you name it. Anyone who's in the fossil fuel game uh seems to have ducked uh or virtually everyone uh, paying tax now you've just had a big a quick chat haven't you to michael Mazengarb? he is the renewable energy and climate change consultant absolute guru with all of this stuff it was his tweet that put this issue on the map it got about 24 trillion re- retweets last i looked uh we actually shared it through the green Can- canary uh twitter feed Uh, what did Michael say when you said to him, how do they actually get away with this? How do they pay no tax?
1: Yeah, right. Okay, so what he said was that basically fossil fuel companies can be in this really unique position where they can announce profits, but they can also report uh, accounting losses to the ATO once deductions like R&D are accounted for or the impacts of asset write-downs are taken into account. Um, So, for example, a lot of resource companies they have significant uh, losses reported in previous years because it takes a huge amount of money to build facilities and things like that. So they'll report massive losses early on, and that can be used as an offset against
0: future profits. Look, you said a really key word there. Uh, that word just is ringing in my ears. I can't get rid of it. Um, you said the word offset. You know, they offset all these R&D type expenses. They're always r and d That's what they do. They go looking for stuff to <laughs> the up. But the, 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 the word there was offset. I don't want tax offsets, fossil fuel companies. I want carbon offsets. Yes, I do.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm upset
0: about offsets. Um, Yes,
1: look, it makes sense. And I I don't really want to go, you know, throwing stones at these companies when I don't really understand how their taxes work. But... You know, there's a reason why people are so angry about this. You it know? doesn't.
0: It doesn't look right, and and these companies should be big enough to own that. It is mm. not a good look. It is a really, really bad look. All right, but let's move on. Uh, let's go from this this sort of broad scale, uh, huge fossil fuel industry. Let's shrink things down, Elfie, and let's talk about a small story, which is also a really big story. It's our feature interview this week, and it's about. Uh, forests in victoria now the supreme court of victoria has found that vic forests which is the state-owned logging company has not properly surveyed uh, forest coops they're the small blocks uh, that it is legally logging but it has illegally not surveyed them properly looking for gliders that is why in the intro i said let's glide into this story now two local conservation groups took vic forests to court the result came through last Friday. It's a terrific result. Uh, we don't need to say too much more. Why don't we roll my interview this week with Sue McKinnon? She's president of the Friends of King Lake Forest, which are one of the two groups that took Vic Forests to court. Let's hear from Sue. Okay, so as promised, we have a very special guest with us today on The Green Canary, now, Sue McKinnon is president of the Friends of King Lake Forest. Boy, did the King Lake Forest need some friends, and it found one in Sue. Now, as we've told you, uh, the Supreme Court has found that the state-owned logging entity Vic Forests broke the law by failing to protect endangered gliders. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, words that Justice Melinda Richards said, uh, which was some pretty strong stuff. Uh, We will get words from Sue McKinnon. And Sue, I want some of your tougher stuff because you said this week, the community has every right to be angry that the state government is subsidizing the loss-making operations of Vic Forrest to carry out logging that is driving species to extinction. I love that no holds barred sort of language. I invite you to give us some of that on the Green Canary today. But first, Sue McKinnon, president of the Friends of King Lake Forest, tell us all about gliders. What are gliders and why are they so worth fighting for?
2: Yeah, hi, and it's, it's great to be here. Uh, Bliders are the most adorable, fluffy, cute animals. Um, I just can't believe that a lot of people don't even know about them. Um, They come out at night, I guess, so that makes them tricky to get popular. They are in the high forests. They're in wet areas, um, cold areas. So, again, you know, they're not just in your local urban location. In our case, there's greater gliders and yellow-bellied gliders. And uh, greater gliders are the largest gliding marsupial in the world. Yellow-bellied gliders are the second largest. Wow. They're about the size of a cat. They're both very, very fluffy. Ah, they've got a very, very long tail. Ah, they've got big fluffy ears and um, particularly the greater glider has got um, huge eyes. So when you go out at night spotlighting, um, you just hold your torch and shine it round and, and you catch these amazingly bright white orbs and looking at you. And, and, the and the then bird is a bird watcher
0: is a twitcher, What's what's a glider watcher? A, a glitcher? I
2: don't know. <laughs>
0: Good job! yes you can have that you can yes. have that for nothing yes thank you we'll take it's, that generous <laughs> folk here at, at the green Canary, Yeah, and before we move on to to the actual court case that you've won just last thing about gliders how far do they glide i mean do they use their special powers to jump from tree to tree or what's what's the deal there
2: oh they can glide 80 meters wow yeah so they, they only have a couple of glides a night because they, they just eat leaves. So they just eat eucalypt leaves, which are very low in nutrients um, and, and very high in toxins. So like the koala, that's why they just sit around most of the time because they digest, they grab a few leaves and then they have to digest and they they have to sit and wait until those toxins are denatured before they can grab another meal. Um, this means that they live Really on the edge of their nutritional capacity, um, and that, that it's another reason why they can't just change their home range. They they they're very loyal to their home range, which is only a few hectares, and um, that they, they can't just they don't have the energy to just go and find another home home range when theirs is cut down. They they also they live in hollows, so they need large trees with large hollows to to live and often and they'll have about 20 hollows that they need to swap between in their home range
0: so if you need a lot of hollows which means you need a lot of old trees uh if you don't like traveling big distances because you're half stoned like a koala uh, you're probably not best mates with Vic Forest, and you identified uh, the Friends of King Lake Forest, that is your group and other environmental groups. You identified that Vic Forests were not doing their part. They were not taking the science seriously. They were not looking at patches of forest that they were going to log and going, hey, are there really gliders here? Have we looked at the whole forest? So give us the kind of one-minute potted summary. You went to court and what happened next?
2: Okay, so we went to court. Uh, there, were, There's another group, Environment East Gippsland, that went to court, took fit for us to court under three clauses. Um, one of them is the precautionary principle clause. It's a clause in the logging laws and it basically says that um, if there's a risk of serious or or irreversible environmental damage, um Uh, you can't use uh, lack of scientific evidence to be an excuse not to do something. So it's just, it's a clause in the logging laws. And we said that, uh, they said that these um, loggers are not abiding by this law, Vic Frost. um, We also then took Vic Frost to court under the same clauses. So our two cases were heard together. Um, And it was interesting because Vic is, is a state owned government agency um, and it had already been taken to court by another group called Friends of Leadbeater Possum. Um, it had been taken to the federal court um, and the federal court had found that Vic Forest is not abiding by this clause, this very same clause, um, in regards to greater gliders. So we thought. We had a very good chance of winning this case. Um, and it has proven true. We we have won, and we have proved that Vic Frost has been logging illegally and uh and and knowingly so, because they were told by the federal court judge that this they're not obeying the law in regards to this clause. They've been logging illegally everywhere there's greater gliders. So this is not just one place. They've been logging illegally over wide, wide areas and many many hectares um uh since that time um, and, and, and as and... justice
0: melinda richard said and i i said i'd mention a bit of a bit of her judgment um she said that that at present vic forest isn't even surveying all of a, all of the, the forest before harvesting um and so it plans and undertakes timber harvest operations without even knowing where gliders live so they just haven't done their very very basic homework did they
2: no. We, well, that was the second arm um, of, well, the first arm of our case was actually that you're not looking for these. Well, I guess the second arm, you know, we think that these animals must be protected under this clause, the precautionary principle clause. And the second arm um, of our case was uh, you're not surveying for them. So how can you protect them when you don't know where they are? So, um and both, we won on both of those um, claims and um, Vic Frost, they do not survey every coop. And if it is surveyed, only 5% of it is surveyed.
0: Yeah, that's that's a tiny amount. So before we let you go today, so let's talk very quickly about what's next. Um, you know, how many gliders are left and how do we ensure that until logging of native forest is phased out which which it's planned to be done by 2030 according to the Andrews government uh and between now and then how do we protect the gliders and as I said how many of them are we protecting
2: I don't know how many um I do know their trend their population trend so in um 2017 uh there was 2016 a report came in that Greater gliders population have crashed by eighty percent in the twenty years beforehand, yeah. so they were listed both federally and in Victoria as uh, vulnerable. And before that, they were regarded as common, and you would see them everywhere. So, in the six years since they were regard, they were listed as vulnerable. They've uh, they've now become endangered. So, essentially, in six years, they've gone from listed as as common through vulnerable to endangered
0: so and can we they're... trust vic forests from here on in to not degrade their status further
2: uh well the cl- the court will um, uh, make injunctions to say that uh, there's certain protections that are required and certain surveying that is required um i it's it's minimal um and I'm still worried about the species, and we will still be uh, out there surveying um, and and making sure that they uh, have their eyes open when they're surveying and uh, and do find the gliders, and um, and we'll still be fighting to stop native logging um, before 2030. We'll be we're fighting to stop it immediately. We have plenty of plantation wood to replace that wood. Um, we don't need to keep logging. Our plantation wood provides. 87 uh, percent of, of uh, the wood supply in Victoria anyway um and and we export millions of tons of wood so you know we've got plenty to 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 replace the uh the native forest logging yeah so you know we're we're, we're out to protect these gliders and to make sure that uh yeah native forest logging stops and um and it's not just the minimal um, yeah you protection
0: well we wish you well with that sue mckinnon president of the friends of king lake forest and i reckon i am president of your fan club i love the work you do i love the fact <laughs> that you went to court and made a difference thank you so much for coming on the green canary today <laughs> thanks ed
1: all right. Well, that was such a lovely interview. It was so lovely to hear from Sue. I think her descriptions of the gliders and why they're so important are really charming. Like the way that she was talking about how absolutely adorable they are and how special they are, because the vast majority of us, myself included, until a couple of years ago, just have no idea about these animals. Like they look like they should be not exist they look mythical basically well,
0: i i have a theory about australian wildlife elfie i think there are too many cute animals for us to keep up with yeah fair. it's like china has pandas right good for pandas terrific they got pandas once you get past pandas look excuse my lack of knowledge on chinese wildlife and, and perhaps someone will, will email us and 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 tell me enlighten me but the point is pandas are just a standalone way out in front on the Chinese animal cuteness stakes. As far as I know, well, we've kangaroos are cute enough. We've got koalas. We've got quackers, Elfie quackers. <laughs> we've, we've got bandicoots. Did you see the bandicoot? I put the, the I put in the newsletter the other day. Yeah. We've, we've got gliders. We have too many. And that almost gives us saving cute animal fatigue. That's, that's kind of, <laughs> you
1: your
0: <laughs> Well, thankfully there are people out there like Sue McKinnon who do who does not have saving cute animal fatigue or saving forest fatigue. Um, it is wonderful uh that they've taken on Vic Forrest and one. I salute them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now let's talk about our mulch stories of the week, shall we, Ant? So, um, first story. I came across this study and I thought I would bring this to you because it actually relates to a study that you brought me. Sorry, I'll say that again. Uh. And I thought that I would bring this to you because it actually relates to a story that you brought me this week. So... This is research from the University of Queensland that has found that microplastics, which are the tiny shreds of plastic that are ending up basically everywhere on our planet right now, um, these tiny little bits of plastic can carry viruses. So the researchers found that viruses can hitchhike on microplastics and actually prolong the infectivity of these viruses. So they looked specifically at E. coli in the study and they found that over half the viruses that were attached to microplastics could be detected Ten days after, um, I guess, it was attached to the plastic, which is a long shot more than if the virus was just floating by itself in the water, which is pretty disturbing.
0: It is. uh, What you're telling us here is that not only are microplastics toxic and polluting and bad, they also help viruses get a free ride around the place.
1: Yes, yeah, totally, and the concern that the researchers were saying was that basically there are these pockets of ocean where microplastics accumulate, and it could be really risky to eat seafood that's been living in that water and is being contaminated by those plastics. Uh, Obviously, the impacts need to be investigated further, but it's definitely a very worrying first signal about a broader implication and consequence of having these microplastics everywhere.
0: Yeah, that's not good. And we've got another not good one for you, Uh, but we are going to end on a positive note because we do like to do that. But look, from tiny pieces of plastic to great lumps of it, I guess the the thing I brought to your desk this week, as we were saying what's going on in the green news world, um, was was a a bit of social media from uh, the group Ocean Cleanup. They dumped on board one of their ships a load of big plastics so not micro plastic, but just big plastic waste and they seemed to have a converted fishing trawler and they were using like the fishing trawler equipment they dumped oh my god i i think it was something like ten thousand kilos which is 10 tons yeah. um of of gunk of plastic gunk that they technical term gunk that they got from the um great pacific garbage patch now i don't know if you we've talked about the great pacific garbage patch once i believe um it's actually two patches. It, it's in a, a sort of zone of the Northern Hemisphere uh, in an oceanic gyre, which is one of my favourite words, G-Y-R-E. But basically, sort of between California and Japan, you've got this zone where the plastic concentrates and sits. And they went and scooped up the most enormous amount of it. Latest count, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch has something like 3 million tonnes of plastic. Plastic, so um, yeah, bring on that uh global plastics treaty that we spoke about recently that we don't have yet, but it's got to be happening soon, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, completely. God, that uh, that video is pretty spectacular. If anybody wants to go onto our Twitter and see it, it's from Ocean Cleanup. Uh, so yeah, make sure to watch it and also. They're a very interesting organisation. I would look into them uh, just generally because I appreciate any organisation that is developing technology and rolling out these programs to pick up that sort of plastic waste from the ocean.
0: Indeed. And and there is actually a a website called plasticstreaty.org that you can go to and call to action and harass people to get a proper treaty in place.
1: We love harassing people for a treaty. Why not?
0: Well, we certainly do. And, you know, harassing people uh, in in, in a good way is sort of the theme of this episode, isn't it, Elfie? So why don't you take us (laughs) to our last story?
1: Look, I wouldn't say that Tanya Plibersek has been harassed. She has been politely pointed in the direction of. And now this week, the Federal Environment Department has agreed to reconsider 18 proposed oil and gas projects based on their impact on climate change. So this is actually an update of a story that I spoke about a couple of months ago, uh, where an environmental group called the Environmental Council of Central Queensland, basically dumped all of these documents on Tanya Plibersek's desk and asked the Environment Minister to reconsider a bunch of decisions about proposed fossil fuel projects. Uh, Basically, the argument that the council is making is that climate change isn't taken into account under the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. And it really should be when you look at the impact on animals, plants and places that are caused by these fossil fuels. So if you remember back to that story, basically, the council were asking Plibersec to re- examine the projects under this like little-used legal process that's outlined in environmental laws where new information can be submitted that forces reconsideration to happen. The department has now said that the request is valid and it's open for public comment on their website now. So, yeah, yeah it's very, very positive news and I'm very happy for the council. Uh, they must be completely celebrating this win.
0: Yeah, it's a great win. I remember your interview. I think she was Christine Carlyle, wasn't she? The, yes. The... Um, the head of the um, Enviro Council of Central Queensland, and and um, she, you know, she's done a great thing. She's she said to to the federal environment minister, "Oi, you cannot approve this stuff without looking at the climate aspects." And the federal environment minister uh, has gone. Uh, you're right. You're right. Um, I actually must consider that. And and again, I come back to our feature interview this week. A bunch of forest activists said to state government or a state government owned forest logging entity, uh, you can't do that without having a look at the gliders. And the mm. courts have ruled, yes, they must look at the gliders. So community level activism is alive and well for anyone out there. And I bet that's most of our audience who's got their fingers in a pie somewhere. Who's, who's committed to an environmental cause, even in a small way, even as a member of a newsletter subscriber to a group in any way at all. um, It's, it's worth your while. It's worth your time. It's worth your effort. There are large entities that can be swayed in meaningful ways by small entities and i think we should end the podcast on that positive note.
1: <laughs> yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, before we head off today, we would like to acknowledge as ever the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded.
0: Thank you, Elfie. And i just like to remind people that we are out there on Twitter at green canary pod. We're out there on Insta at green canary media we send out on a Wednesday, Australia's chirpiest and we like to think most informative and friendly and readable Mm -hmm. and engaging environmental newsletter. You can subscribe to that by emailing hello at thegreencanary.co. And I reckon we will see you next week with a little bit of whistleblowing from that good cop or that bad cop. I guess we'll find out who, won't we, (laughs) Elfie?
1: Yep. All right. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.